Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 135 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Together again, here we are. Hey, it's been a while. I feel like we didn't see each other a lot because you had guests and I had guests from out of town. And Yeah, I think it, life's just getting busier. I know. It's weird. We're neighbors now and we feel like we're seeing each <laughs> other less. Go figure. I don't know. We want to remind everyone that we have a Patreon page. We do. And we so appreciate everyone's support with that. We have annual costs and monthly costs now. And we really appreciate everyone's help with covering those costs. And we have new patrons this week. We'd love to give thanks to Kate, Barb, Ruth, and Amy. Thank you so much. It's just really lovely to know, first of all, that people are out there listening <laughs> and that you want to help support our passion project. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And we really want to keep it ad-free as much as we can, other than the ads that we do ourselves for our affiliate. Uh, right. And we kind of consider that a different thing than ads for, I don't know, hemorrhoid creams. <laughs> <laughs> You'll really know we're in trouble if we start advertising for that for many reasons. <laughs> that was a good one, Chris. Oh, my. I'm so happy to be laughing. I haven't laughed much in the last two weeks. That's where I've really missed you, I think. <laughs> also, we've had some people piping in about their big book reads for the summer. It's so fun. Some overachievers out there. Jean is reading Middlemarch. Yay. I mean, go girl. That's a big one. Audrey is reading The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm, another big one. Yeah, tough, not particularly upli uplifting, but, you know, I'm sure it's interesting. Susan finished War and Peace, and she's on to Bleak House. Awesome. Another partner there, Chris. And then Amy is reading Moby Dick, Lots of Skimming, and she thinks it's overrated. <laughs> and she said she prefers the sailing novels of Patrick O'Brien. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Master and Commander. Yeah. series I think that is and that's one I, I do have a couple of those I haven't read them yet but I do want to dive in I've had a lot of people recommend them isn't that the author that when you go to the mystic seaport museum bookstore I think they have every book in that series they do yeah I believe so yeah. yeah it's a super cool display I remember yeah and that's a really great bookstore too for people who are into boats and sailing because they have fiction nonfiction broken down by categories they have kids books dealing with ships in the ocean. It's a really cool bookstore. And it's beautiful and a beautiful location too. And then Amy's also reading The Magic Mountain in German. Wow. <laughs> and she read Anna Kay. Damn, Amy's on fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then Julie read Long Bright River by Liz Moore, which was on my list. I wanted to read that. And then The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Another one yeah. we've talked about. Yeah, I definitely want to read that one. It kind of brings me pleasure to know that other people are reading books I desperately want to read. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that way? Yes, I do. <laughs> it makes me really happy. Like even Amy saying that she's reading Moby Dick and not totally into it and skimming. And I love Moby Dick. And I think Amy said that she was an English major and felt kind of guilty that she'd never read it in school as an English major. You know, hello, I was in the same boat. And when I finally read it, I loved it. I really got into it. I read it around the same time as The Whale Ship Essex. I think it was Nathaniel Philbrick wrote yeah. about the story that inspired Melville. And so that probably helped me get into it a bit more. 
I just love to know that people are reading really big books, you know, because there's so much talk about everyone having kind of like attention deficit these days. Right. Which is totally understandable for what we've been going through in the world. But yeah, it gives me comfort to know that people are reading these books that I want to read. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I don't have time, I'm not bitter. I'm going to celebrate. And know that you will get there or not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. (laughs) So what are you currently reading? Well, I am diving back into Bleak House. I was cruising along, you know, that schedule that I created, hoping to read it in 19 days. I was going gangbusters, and then a project happened that took more time than I thought it was going to take. And then we had some out-of-town guests, like I mentioned. So I got behind, and I'm back into it now, though. I love the story. I'm on Chapter 49, maybe, so about 80% through. Oh, you're almost there. I did the math this morning, and I have about 210 pages to go. So hopefully I'm going to finish it within the next, you know, day or two. Good for you. You have a great community of co-readers on Goodreads. So that's really fun to watch. Yeah, and a couple folks finished it ahead of schedule because Mm -hmm. they just were so amazed that it was such a good story. Yeah. They just kind of blew through it. Yeah, I'm plowing ahead with Anna Kay. That's an inside joke for those of you who are reading the book, because there's lots of farming and lots of mowing going on. It's not really plowing, it's mowing. But there's been a lot more farming than I knew in Anna Kay. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm mostly now listening, I have to admit. Every once in a while, I'll read a couple chapters, but listening. And I'm on schedule, but that's because my book schedule's a lot longer than yours. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I should know better. I don't do well with schedules, but I'm always drawn to the idea of a schedule. But I usually, I just struggle. You know, I'm the absolute opposite. I'll stay up till three in the morning to hit my deadline. (laughs) Even if it's a self-imposed pleasure deadline, I'll still do it. Yeah. I'm really enjoying having co-readers as well. Thank you to everybody who's joining in and participating on Goodreads. It's really fun. Yeah, for sure. So the other book I'm currently reading is one that Emily is going to talk about more. It's Oh Beautiful, the new one by Jung Yun. This is her new novel. It's coming out next month. No, uh, no September. No, no. no? This is very teasy, everybody. It comes out November 9th. Oh, my God. I didn't yeah. realize it was that far away. Well, everyone, put this one on your TBR, pre-order it. Get your library to order in a copy because it's fantastic. Her first novel was Shelter, which we've talked about here. We've both loved that novel. It's kind of like a thriller-type literary novel. I've just been chomping at the bit for this book to come out, and I'm really thankful that the publisher, Annette Galley, gave us advanced reader copies because it's a great story. I got immediately sucked in. Yeah, it is so good. I finished it, so I will talk about it in our next segment. I'm also reading Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. I am struggling with this book. I'm sure people are sick of me talking about it. I think I've talked about it three episodes in a row. I have finally broken down and I am just listening to it on audio. I kind of get why people like it. I mean, it's a preacher on his deathbed talking to his son and kind of talking about his life and the townspeople's lives and people in his congregation. I think it's just a little too slow for me. And I hate to say this out loud, considering it's a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, but I find it rather boring. Even when I'm listening, my mind just wanders. That being said, she is a fantastic writer. So her turns of phrase can be really beautiful. And there are definitely 
times where I stop, you know, I'm out on a walk and I just stop and think, oh, that was a gorgeous sentence. So on a sentence level, it's a beautiful book. I just am not that interested in the story, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that happens sometimes with award winners from different awards that it is not necessarily a reader's book. Right. It might be more of a writer's book, as people say. Yeah. And a certain type of writer, we should say that as well. Sure. That's a pretty general statement to say somebody's a writer's reader. Thank you, Chris, for making me feel better about myself. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's such a short little book. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's pretty short. So to struggle through it, I commend you and I feel for you. Thank you. And the audio is like six hours. So that goes to show compared to Anna Kay, which is 30. I think. 30 weeks. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gracious. Moving on to Just Read. I have been reading. So as Chris said, I finished Oh Beautiful by Jung Yun. This book is out November 9th. Um, thank you to St. Martin's Press for giving us both advanced reader copies. This is a tricky book to talk about because really it's one of those that the experience of reading it and the unfolding of the story is really what it's about. I will just give a little little tiny hint that it's about a woman named Eleanor who is a Korean-American woman who grew up in North Dakota She left her small hometown and became a model. And so her beauty really was a lot of her persona and what her life was all about. And she didn't like that. And in her late 30s, went to college, became a journalist. One of her professors has called her up and given her an assignment that he had to go to North Dakota to a town called Avery and report on the changes that are happening in that town because there's a fracking boom and the economy has changed. It's taken off. This is after 2008. So the economy in the United States isn't great. So people are flocking to Avery to look for work. Men are flocking. Men and some women. Yeah, but mainly men. Like there's a lot in this novel. I'm only at the 30% mark. Okay. As well. So yes. And I definitely don't want to ruin Chris's reading experience because it really goes to very unusual places. I do want to just read one quote because the title of the book, Oh, Beautiful, is really about the country and America. And I thought that this quote from the book really sums up some of what she's writing about. It's a reminder of how complicated this country is how great beauty and terrible ugliness have coexisted here from the start. Hmm. And it's kind of also one of those things about how small towns, I'm from a small town, I've always said this, can be a microcosm of what's happening in the bigger world or the country itself. And this is definitely an example of that. She's a fantastic, unbelievable writer. Yes. The only other thing I will say is Eleanor goes to Avery to write a certain story and ends up focusing on something else mm-hmm. that's surprising to her. Yeah, because the, the this old professor of hers arranges it for the editor that he was doing the story for, for a really nationally renowned magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a real opportunity for Eleanor because she's been living off her modeling money and trying to make it as a writer and this could really totally blow up her career in a very good way if she does it well or not. I like that setup Mm -hmm. a lot. 
I mean, I've read some stuff about the oil boom in North Dakota and what it has done, good and bad. So I was really so pleasantly surprised by just the small amount that I've read so far, the paths it's gone down and everything. Yeah, it's an amazing book. I really mean that. And that's a big word. But November 9th, order it from your libraries now, pre-order it, set time aside on that day (laughs) to get yourself a copy of this book. Yeah. And you know what, we love her as a writer, and she's a great person. And we just want to remind everyone that pre-ordering does help with creating the buzz of a book and it can help it get on a bestseller list and we're all about that yes with with this book in particular and this wonderful author yeah go book cougars let's get her on the new york times bestseller list (laughs) it's not too much to ask for (laughs) well i read a book that's coming out august (laughs) which this episode i think drops on august 3rd yeah the book is clark and division by naomi hirahara I hadn't heard of her before. She is an Edgar Award winning novel, a novelist, I should say. Uh, Edgar Award is the big mystery award that's in the United States. And this book, wow, thank you so much to the editor. Juliet Green. Yes, to up- the editor. upcoming guest on the Cougs. Yes, um, editor at Soho Crime, who sent us an advanced reader copy. I was attracted to this novel at first because it's set in Chicago. And, you know, I like a good mystery set in Chicago. Now, The story, it is set in 1944, Chicago, but it starts in California, where there's a Japanese family who gets, I hate the word relocated, because it sounds like so kind. But you know, they're of Japanese ancestry. So they get put into a concentration camp away from the coast, the father had his own business that's taken and the family's living in the Manzanar camp of detainees. So they're living there for several years, and the oldest daughter finally gets released, and she's relocated to Chicago because a lot of the Japanese-Americans who were held in these camps when they were released were allowed to go to cities in the Midwest, so away from the coasts where the government thought that if they were near the coast— they'd be more likely to conspire with the enemy. I know, we're both rolling our eyes hard. So the oldest daughter goes, and then the family is finally getting released to go live in Chicago as well. And the action takes off from there. I don't want to say too much about this, because again, it, it is a mystery. And part of the joy of reading a mystery is the unfolding of it. But I thought she did a great job, Naomi, on you know, representing Chicago. Granted, I wasn't alive in 1944. But she has Chicago in this book, not so much as a character, but definitely as a setting. It's not just a backdrop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And different parts of the city that don't usually get mentioned a lot. The Newberry Library is in here. That's a bit of a spoiler, but I just can't help but say it because I love the Newberry so much. (laughs) The heroine is Akai Ito. And she's the younger sister who is trying to figure things out. One of the things I thought about while reading this book is something you and I have talked about before with Holocaust literature, that as time goes by and as more of the, the major situational stories have been told, you're getting now more individualized stories about what happened And I think this is what's happening with this book in part with the Japanese-American experience 
of those who were put into concentration camps in World War II. It's not so much just a story of the camp, but now also after the camp and what people had to go through. Right. And I'm sure changing some of the vocabulary, like even what you were saying about relocated, that's very kind term. That's not really what happened to people. Right. And so I think it allows for that more of a truth telling about situations and then more of backstory and forward story of what happens. Right. So I highly recommend it. It's a great mystery in and of itself. It's a really good plot. And then I also really enjoyed the writing as well as then Chicago as the location of this book. So again, that's Clark and Division by Naomi Hirahara. Totally recommend it for all mystery lovers, historical fiction lovers, yeah. and people who love Chicago. Great combination. And thank you to Juliet Grames, because she just reached out to us and said, this is definitely a book cougar's book. She was right. Absolutely. It totally is. She tackles a lot of different issues. Racism, for one, obviously. There are also gender issues and issues of friendship. It's how people interact and find one another. Right. Well, I read The Apology Project by Jeanette Escudero. This is on sale August 1st, so it too will be out when this episode drops. You know, it's funny, I listened to an episode of Literary Disco. They did an episode talking about poolside reads, even different than beach reads, where you're going to be wet and get splashed, and you're going to be drinking a big icy and covered in sunscreen. And so it's not necessarily like a book you want to cherish and you're worried about. You just want to read it in one sitting, sitting by the pole. Yeah, you don't mind if it gets wet. Like, right. You're not going to take your you know, signed first edition of whatever. Right. And I really thought about that when I was reading The Apology Project, because it's just a super light, super fast read. I read it probably in two settings. I talked about the opening scene on the last episode about the lawyer who has a misstep literally and breaks the nose of her uh, partner at the law firm loses her job, ends up rediscovering herself, and partly rediscovering herself as a woman, and her role in society and not, you know, being like, really adept at her job, but not having to deal with misogyny. So I really appreciated that part of the book. She's a tough woman who did a lot of hard scrabble work to get where she was in her career, but kind of forgot to acknowledge the people around her at the same time. So that's the idea of the apology project is when she kind of comes up from air and is wearing her sweatsuit and sitting on her couch and having a little bit more time on her hands, she realized maybe there's some people I need to apologize to. And then at the same time, maybe there's some people I don't owe an apology to. Mm -hmm. So it was a really fun read. I think that it's not highbrow literature. If anyone's looking for a book like that, you will be disappointed here. But I think if you're looking for something light to read on a summer day, it's a good one. I think I misrepresented it a little bit when I hadn't read very much thinking it was going to be like a courtroom drama. It's not that at all. Mm. It's completely about her life and falling in love and finding herself and her family because she realizes that part of her family is actually from Cuba. So there's a story arc about that that I really thought was fun. Again, it's called The Apology Project by Jeanette Escudero, and it is will be out when this episode goes live. Nice. Happy yeah. pool reading. Yeah, nice bright cover. Yes, it is. 
And then the next book I read, completely different. This book is called A Mouthful of Air by Amy Koppelman. Thank you to $2 Radio for sending a copy. This is um, a republishing of a book that originally published in the 90s. It is about postpartum depression. I'm showing the cover to Chris because it is in the vein of the yellow wallpaper, which is a very famous book about postpartum depression and female depression in general. This book has, I think it's supposed to be pink orchids, if if I remember correctly. So she's, this woman has given birth to a child and is living in a house and in an apartment in New York City with this bright pink poppy wallpaper. So that's what's on the cover of the book. What Koppelman is really trying to do with this novel, and it is a novel, even though it feels like a memoir as you're reading it, is show that It doesn't matter if you come from great privilege. Mental health and postpartum depression are what they are, whether you have all the nannies in the world. And this woman is a woman of high status living in New York City with a husband who just wants everything to be better and everyone to just, you know, brush it under the rug that she's had a baby and is feeling a little blue. It's incredibly painful to read, but really important. And I may be misspeaking here, but I think this is really true, that in American society, having a child is a very solo adventure in this country. It's like you go to the hospital, you have this baby, you're sold a bill of goods that it's going to be the best time in your life, the most amazing experience, and you're going to go home and have this beautiful gem of a baby and live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. It's not how it is. Right. And it's almost, I feel like, what makes women more crazy because not only might you be suffering from postpartum depression but then you're living in a society that's telling you it's supposed to be the best time of your life right exactly yeah Yeah. it's such a wicked situation and I haven't given birth myself but I've had plenty of friends who have and the struggle is real as they say and I think it's one of those things that we just don't talk about here or until recently we really haven't been and Even this is slightly related, but I saw an article recently that talked about how women should be encouraged not to wait to tell people that they're pregnant until it's safe, that more people need to know how many miscarriages there are for some women. So people start understanding women's experience more with childbirth and the struggles with pregnancy. Yeah, that's interesting because I think part of the reason for waiting is also like fewer people you have to tell that you lost the baby, exactly. right? which does then make it almost like a form of secret or something like that. So that's, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, I think for some private people, I put myself in that category, you want to tell the people you want to tell. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the more people you tell, the more it gets spread. But that's a whole other thing. It is a whole other thing. And, I, you know, friends who've lost babies, it's awful because going back to work or going even to stores where people know you. So yeah. how's the baby? We don't have that outward visual warning system that somebody's in mourning. Right. You know, that we used to have with the black armbands or wearing black. So you treat people differently. And maybe you don't ask them as many questions. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's really interesting. So Koppelman fought to have this book published in the 90s. It took her three years to find a publisher who would publish it because it just postpartum depression was not talked about. It's obviously something that people talk more about today, but still not at the level that it needs to be talked about. And so again, one of the points she's making with this book is that 
you know, even in this situation with this woman who has access to plenty of medical help, gets the help she needs, quote, Mm -hmm. the people closest to her are incapable of helping her work her way through this. Sometimes you can't. It's chemical imbalance. And so it's very tricky. But it's a really important book. I'm really glad that $2 Radio, which is this small little press out of Columbus, is willing to take a chance and put it back out there for people to read again. Their books are these kind of small, neat, little, almost square shapes, and they did a really nice job with it. I read it in two sittings. It's not a long book, and it's been optioned for a movie. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other book of hers that was made into a movie is called I Smile Back, and it stars the comedian Sarah Silverman. And this was, I think, her first dramatic role. And she did a fantastic job. I watched it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So again, the book is called A Mouthful of Air by Amy Koppelman. Now, is this the kind of book you think it would be a good gift for certain women that people know? I do think it would be. And I think the more women that read it, the more we can be honest with each other about what it's like to be a new mom. The other book I read was from our buddy over at Jungle Red Writers, Hank Philippi Ryan. Nice. Her new book comes out on September 14th, a little ways away, but not too far that you can't put it on request or pre-order it now. It's told from two different points of view. One is a newscaster by the name of Lily, and the other is a producer named Greer. Now, Hank was a newscaster. Well, she wasn't really a newscaster. She was an investigative reporter. Right. And I actually think Lily is actually an investigative reporter, too. I Mm -hmm. think she does a little of both. The paperwork that came with the book said this is Hank's most personal book yet. So Hmm. I don't know if it's just because of the character of Lily or really some of what the story's about. I wouldn't really want to ask her that. That seems very personal. And we've also been told by authors the question they hate the most. So Lily lives what people think is a perfect life. She's a beautiful woman. She's on national television. But she has a sister that went missing when she was in college. Not when Lily was in college, but when her sister Cassie was in college She disappeared. Lily was much younger than her, seven years old. So the lion's share of her life, she lived without her sister. And she now is a single mother with a young girl and is very careful to protect her daughter for obvious reasons. It's a mystery. They never solved what happened to her sister. They never found her. They never figured it out. So she operates in this world where she has no privacy, but she's trying to keep her daughter's life somewhat private for good reason a little mystery ensues that involves Greer her producer who's also the other point of view in the book at the same time they use an informant to get some story ideas and then this informant starts to turn a little too personal and that's all I want to say (laughs) because it is one of those very plot-driven, very twisty and turny books. It was the perfect book to be reading beside Anna Karenina because I want to be able to take breaks from Anna. I can't do too many characters and anything too similar to Anna Karenina. So it's very twisty, page-turning. Some of the themes are grief, loss, trickery. And really, I would say the innocence of youth when you're in college you know that age where you think you kind of know everything, but you can 
really not know anything? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend it. She's a good writer. She's won a million awards, both for her journalism in the form of Emmys and then for her writing Edgar Awards and Mary Higgins Clark. Clark. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk to her, she has a million awards lined up behind her. She's very accomplished and an accomplished writer. Again, the book's called Her Perfect Life by Hank Philippi Ryan. Awesome. Very cool. Do I get to have that one next? Or have you promised it to someone else? No, I'm handing it across the table. There's the handoff. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Biblio Adventures. Yes, we went on a joint jaunt in real life. It was so fun. It was awesome. It was just fun to get in the car and drive somewhere. (laughs) And we didn't even drive together, which is often most of the fun. But we met there. We met there because we were coming from two different directions that day. But it was at the Old Lyme Public Library. The Phoebe Griffin Noise Library. Yes. Yeah. And they had it out front on their lawn, which is really great. They've done a really big renovation over the last two years or so. And they're open now for people to come in with masks, but they have the event space outside, which is great because one of the things with the renovation was this patio that is now between like the old building and the new building. So it acts as a little bit of a stage. Yeah, it was really nice. And they had a mic set up. So sometimes for me with those outdoor events, you can't hear anything. But she was really well mic'd. And we went to see Claire Griffin. And she was there to talk about her new book called A Rebellious Woman. And this is the story of Belle Boyd. Belle Boyd. Some of you may have heard of her already because I know she's been included in some nonfiction works lately about kick-ass, rebellious 19th century women. And Belle was known for giving information to Stonewall Jackson. Like one of the stories is that she ran across a battlefield to tell him something. And there were actually bullet holes in her petticoat. (laughs) (laughs) Go Belle. (laughs) But Claire said that she researched this book forever. And it took her 16 years to write it. Now she did do some other writing in between, including she wrote a kid's book that was award-winning called Nowhere to Run. Pretty sure it's for teenagers. Mm -hmm. The more she learned about Belle, the less she liked her. Right. And the more interesting her life was beyond just her Civil War antics. Right. Um, The rest of her life was pretty amazing and really continued to buck convention. You know, she was a Southern woman who was really about the Southern cause, but then she married a Northern general. So there's all these kind of conflicting things within her life. But she was really like an accomplished horsewoman. This is when women had to ride side saddle, which talk about bad back and hip problems and everything. But she could really outride men, even doing side saddle. Yeah. So what Claire did that night was she talked a lot about etiquette for that time period for women, and then kind of set that against why it was so hard for Belle to be Belle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that she forged ahead and lived the life she wanted to live, even though it wasn't always easy. Yeah. And she made it clear too that it was social conventions for a certain class of women, right? That you couldn't work, you couldn't make your own money was one of the problems that Belle had. So she ended up having three husbands, three husbands, she did make some money by traveling kind of the circuit around the country telling the story of her escapades during the war. Yeah, the lecture circuit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But she did have three husbands. She was actually a proud cougar. 
because the husband that she had when she passed away was 16 years younger than her. Go Bell. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really great event. I think the book's going to be very interesting to read. It was a packed audience. Yeah. Because Claire is local to Old Lyme. And so there were a lot of people there. They were very engaged in her stories, asked good questions. It was really fun. Yeah. And the book came out a couple months ago, and she, you know, delayed the event tour for obvious reasons. But she is getting out and about doing events now. Yeah. So look her up. Check out her website. I think she has them listed there. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. And she was a teacher. She said she taught every grade level. So she's also very comfortable just having a conversation in front of a group of people you can tell right and she had a poster with some images on it so you could see what she was talking about with side saddle yeah like just how off center a woman sat on the horse it wasn't just that you were side saddle so you know you had one leg looped over part of the saddle that was a side saddle saddle you were also off center of the horse (laughs) it's just insane in your corset yes in your corset exactly (laughs) Yes. So again, the name of that book is A Rebellious Woman by Claire J. Griffin. Nice. Yeah. That was a fun night. It that really was. was. It was warm-ish, but sunny. That was the day it had been really kind of like misty and foggy. And then like a half hour before the event, the skies cleared. Yeah. It was nice because they did say that in the event of rain, it was going to be a Zoom, you know, virtual event. So I'm glad we got to go and be there together. Yeah. Well, one of the events I went on by myself was, well, it wasn't by myself. It was without Emily, um, but it was the Willa Cather Book Club, which we met in person for the first time in over a year. We met at the Red Heat Tavern in South Windsor, thanks to Cindy at Book Club on the Go, who is our sponsor for setting that up with Red Tavern. She has a lot of book events there, and they have a private room in the back that seats about 30 people, I think. And there were how many of us? Seven? eight maybe who came it was really comfortable we are at a very long table and we were at every other seat they do separate checks it was perfect for an event like that and it was so wonderful to see everybody again after such a long time period and to know that we all made it through kate came up from new york so it was great to see her you mean our patreon sponsor kate yes thank you kate Kate, indeed (laughs) so that was a lot of fun we talked about lucy gayhart and And everyone really liked the book and thought it was kind of quite different, but also had some similarities with Cather's earlier works. I'm so glad you're all back together again. And what's the book you're reading next? Next, we're actually reading Cather's first, which is called Alexander's Bridge, which is a novel that's more Jamesian than Cather's own subject matter that she would write about in O Pioneers, which was her second novel, but she always considered it her first novel. She actually wrote an essay called My First Novel, There Were Two. Oh, interesting. And she kind of wanted to disown Alexander's Bridge. But it's a good story. I mean, it's still a good novel, I think. It's just not Cather. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, So that and that will be, I don't know, October, I believe, we're meeting next, because we meet quarterly. Great. We'll put all that in the show notes, everybody. And we'll be back at the Wood Library again, because they'll be open. And it's open to new members. Oh, absolutely. Anyone's welcome to come. Yeah. Yes. Well, I too did something by myself down to Mystic. I went to Bank Square Books, our affiliate bookstore. Sitting out front was the lovely Jen Bouchard with her new book that just released called First Course. It was so sweet to meet her and get a copy of her book and have her sign it. She 
grew up kind of in this area and her father was in the Navy and she now lives in Boston, but she also spent time in Maine. And so the book, according to her, I haven't started it yet. It takes place in Maine. She loves Maine, went to college there and it's a love story and also a second chance story Mm. where something terrible happens in her family and she loses her job and all of these things kind of happen all at once so she goes to Maine and gets to have a restart. Chris and I are all about geographic restarts. I really love a story that kind of takes you through one so I'm curious again it's called First Course by Jen Bouchard. Nice. I'm so sorry I couldn't come with you. One of the reasons was because I had guests in town. My friend Jason and his husband, Matt, who's also a friend, came to visit. I worked with Jason at Borders moons ago. Wow. So we did take a quick biblio adventure over to RJ Julia so he could see it. And we had a good browse. I bought a gift for Laura, but I didn't buy any books for myself because I did tell myself, self, you can't buy any more books until you finish Bleak House. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, what was the intel? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So once I finish Bleak House, a reward will be to buy a new book. All right on. Yeah. Okay. But one of the things I did, this is a couch biblio adventure. I binged the Hemingway series, the new Ken Burns series. I was on the fence about watching it or not, because I do have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Hemingway. I love most of his novels and started reading him at a pretty young age. But then the more I've learned about him as a human being the less I like him. I think he was a terrible person. I know he had a hard life in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, I think he was just a big old jerk. So did watching this make you feel differently? No, not at all. It just kind of affirmed mm-hmm. the, the reasons I love him and then the reasons I dislike him. He had mental illness. He had a series of really bad concussions. Mental illness ran in his family. His father had committed suicide you know, several other family members had and I think most listeners know Hemingway himself ended up committing suicide and was in a lot of great pain I think one of the things that was new information was that he did go to the was it the Mayo Clinic for treatment so he had shock therapy and things like that Um, at the time it was reported that he was there for treatment of high blood pressure Mm. so it was really kept out of the press like he had two plane accidents in Africa he and his wife And the second one, they also didn't report the extent of that. He was actually trapped in the plane, and it was on fire. And he smashed his head repeatedly against the door until it opened, and he got out. But he was pretty badly burned. But even before that, he was still a jerk. He was an alcoholic. He had, I think, very low self-esteem. And he was mean to people from a very young age. I don't know. I'm not really presenting this very well as something to watch. But if you were the slightest bit interested in Hemingway, I think you should give it a watch. Well, I know Ken Burns, just any subject that he takes on, he does a really good job. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine that it was well done. It was well done. And there were pictures that I'd never seen of him before. I've read a couple biographies. And anytime I come across an article, I read about it because I just have that push pull with him. So I think there's a lot of good new information for people who might just have a passing acquaintance with his biography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that was a new Ken Burns series called Hemingway. And it is streaming now. I don't remember. I think I watched it on Apple TV. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. But it's a three part series. 
I think it was a total of maybe six hours. Okay. Hence not getting a lot of reading done. Yeah. That was my reading time. That's a devotion to spend that much time with Hemingway. <laughs> well, and it made me want to reread A Farewell to Arms, which I love that novel. I also love The Sun Also Rises and used to teach that one back when I taught. Mm. Good stuff. I think that's the only Hemingway I've read is The Sun Also Rises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a big gallivant down to the Big Apple. Oh, can't wait to hear about this. I got to catch up with my Aunt Ellen. Hey. Longtime listeners know she is part of the Cougars family. Indeed. Although short-term listeners wouldn't know because we haven't seen her in so long. Oh, but I know. Chris and I used to go down to New York quite a bit and gallivant with Ellen, and she also would put us up when we went down for Book Expo. I know. I love those times. And that's another reason I'm sad. When I first heard that Book Expo was going to be no more, I thought, oh, we're not going to go get to stay with Aunt Ellen like we did. That was so much fun. Because yeah. she was always interested in yeah. hearing about what we learned that day. Well, we'll come up with some other reasons. <laughs> well, we met and we went to that new park that opened called Little Island which was really fun. It was warm. So we kind of got there towards midday and we walked around the park and then we went over to Chelsea Market where there happens to be a bookstore called Poseman's Books and we strolled through there. They also had these really cool outdoor window displays with lots of book images like the binding right isn't that what you call it yeah the, uh, mm-hmm. of the book and Anna Karenina was one of them and Pachinko by Min Jin Lee was one so we got some fun pictures there and then I had done a little research and discovered that there was a Rudolf Steiner bookstore not far from this park I'd never heard of them yeah so Rudolf Steiner he was a philosopher and a social reformer he founded Anthroposophy He termed it a scientific exploration of the spiritual world. And it's the seed for the Waldorf School education for anyone who's heard of that. I knew it would be a super cool bookstore for me. I didn't think Ellen would be that interested in it, which was true. But she's always a good sport and always game to walk to a new part of the city or just tag along with me on my adventures. And I bought a book there called The Story of the Root Children. And this was originally published in 1906 mm. by, and I'm sure this is not how you pronounce her name, but Sybil von Olfers, who was a German art teacher and nun. And this was her best known work. And it's been republished in April of 21. It's a beautiful little hardcover. And I bought it for a friend who has a grandchild. It's the story of the four seasons And the illustrations, which she did, are all of these little children under the earth, looking at the roots of the earth and plants and what happens as the seasons change. Oh, wow. That sounds beautiful. Really pretty. Art and crafting and eurythmy, which is a form of dance, are all part of anthroposophy. So in this bookstore, they had a really beautiful craft section. I thought, thought about Laura because there were beautiful journals and markers. So it was a great stop. It was a beautiful store. I'm really glad I went. I bought that book and then I bought myself a beautiful beeswax candle for the kitchen table. Very cool. And it's this bookstore where you walk down. It's below street level. Yeah. I love shops like that. There's just something so romantic about them. Yeah. It's like a little hobbit hole. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Maybe because we're short. I don't know. It always just feels nice and cozy. Maybe for a Mm -hmm. tall person, it might not feel that way. But I don't know. Yeah. There used to be a really cool used bookstore in Naperville, Illinois called the Bookseller. 
that was down like oh, that. Cool. Yeah. It was really lovely. I'm glad that I stopped in. It's small, you know, but I got to do a nice browse. So we had a really good time. It was nice to go back to New York. I was also a little cautious. The numbers are picking up mm. on the East Coast a little bit for COVID. So not sure when we'll get to see each other again, but glad that I went. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I'm so glad you got to go and, yeah. and connect with Ellen again. It had been over a year and a half since we'd seen each other. As I know, many other families are in the same boat. Yeah, I, I think Ellen, I saw her probably when I went... In March, I think March 2020 was when I saw her the last time. When I was doing a research project, we met for dinner one night. Yeah, you saw her more recently than I had. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Can't wait for us to get together again with her. You know, it is picking up around the country again, and I just saw a headline today that the governor here in Connecticut, they're considering travel restrictions again for people entering the state. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Be careful. Mm -hmm. Wear your masks when you need to. Right. So do you have any upcoming jaunts, Chris? Well, I do. I, I mentioned last episode that I'd be going up to South Windsor to the Wood Memorial Library to see Emily Arsenal. Her new novel is When All the Girls Are Sleeping. She's going to be in conversation with John Valeri, our mystery man. Can't wait for that event. Really looking forward to it. That is August 5th at 6 p.m. in the front lawn of the Wood Library. The Wood isn't open during the summer because they don't have A.C., so if it rains, there's an alternate plan that is being made <laughs> or a rain date, I should say. Okay. Yeah. Super looking forward to that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. How about you? Well, Anne in Austin, which I've decided maybe that should be a new segment. Doesn't that have a nice ring? <laughs> Anne in Austin. Austin. Let us know that the Texas Book Festival is going to be a hybrid format this year. It'll be virtual from October 25th through the 28th, and then in person October 30th through the 31st. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. They have some heavy hitters coming. That's always supposed to be a great book festival. I've heard about it for years. So thank you, Anne, for alerting us to that. And I will put link to whatever they have up now. I'll put a link in the show notes. That's great. Yeah, and we'll stay tuned on that for sure and give you updates as well. That's one of the bigger book festivals, I think, in the country too. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's one more book event or biblio adventure. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go, but I just wanted to let listeners know that Lucy Burdett is going to be at the Manchester Public Library on Monday, August 16th at 7 p.m. And that's Manchester, Connecticut, not England. And she's one of the Jungle Reds. Yeah, and her newest book is called Scone of Contention. <laughs> yes. I love that title. <laughs> well, I'm going to be heading to Ohio to visit my daughter. And then the gentleman caller has some family there as well. There is the $2 radio. The publisher has this little cool bookstore in Columbus. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, because they only have evening hours, I think. I'm hoping that I can um, pop in there. So that's one of my exciting hopefuls for the upcoming trip. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> I really look forward to hearing about that. I hope you make it there. Me too. Yeah. I love their book catalog. So it'd be so fun to just go see all of their books in person. Mm-hmm. How about any upcoming reads, Chris? Oh my gosh, upcoming reads. Oh, well, Crocodile Tears. For sure. 
by S.A. Crosby, which I mentioned last episode is one I was looking forward to. That is going to be the next book I crack open. Good for you. After I finish Oh Beautiful and Bleak House. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You've got your hands full. I wanted to tell listeners about the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize list. They said they used 116 volunteers. And I guess there were submissions, which I didn't realize. From 143 submissions, they picked 27 titles are in the running for the First Novel Prize. They first started doing this in 2006. The winner receives $15,000 prize, and then each of the other shortlisted authors gets $1,000. And it's just a great list of books. I don't want to read them all off because it's 27, but I will put a link in the show notes for this. And Chris and I were talking about this before we mic'd up that, I mean, it's just a great reading list, but I also think it'd be fun to make a project of trying to read each of the books that have won the first novel mm-hmm. prize. So maybe if I get my act together, I'll make a list of those we can talk about next episode. I'm sure we've read some of them. Yeah, and that's only, it goes back to 2016, so it's not that huge of a list. 2006. Oh, 2006. I yeah. misheard you. Did I say 2016? Right. Well, yeah. you know what? That's still... That's a well, lot. That is a lot, but <laughs> it'll be interesting to see who's on that list. Yeah, I also think... I just sent this to my book club. I think if you're in a book club and you're looking for books, that lists like this are really fun to look through. So again, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. The other thing that I have talked about before is Lori Colwin. And her book, Home Cooking, she was a food writer that died very prematurely in her 40s. And in the book review this weekend, there was a nice essay about her. And the title is The Sneakily Subversive Fiction of Lori Colwyn, which I thought was a great title. But they're releasing all of her books again. They're oh. reprinting them and releasing them. They had three books that they noted as a Colwyn starter kit. And one of them is Home Cooking, the one that I've talked about. And the full title of that is Home Cooking, A Writer in the Kitchen. And then the other are two of her novels. One is called Family Happiness, and the other is called Happy All the Time. It just made me remember, like, I really want to read her. So I'm putting her in general on my upcoming reads. I'm wondering if you've heard of this, Chris. We just got this in the mail, and it's called The Darkest Evening, and it's an Avira Stanhope novel. Oh, Anne Cleves. Yeah, and the author is Anne Cleves. This is the ninth book in the Vera Stanhope series. I feel completely like I've missed the boat on this. The blurb on the front is from Louise Penny, and it says, Anne Cleves is one of my favorite mystery writers. <laughs> yeah, they're my buddies, place. I believe. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's funny is I've watched the show Vera, which is a British series, with this cantankerous female detective named Vera. Mm. And this is the series. That's awesome. So (laughs) I'm excited. I read the first couple sentences and it grabbed me right away. So again, this is called The Darkest Evening by Anne Cleves. And it's just coming out in paperback. It's been out all year in hardcover. Very cool. Speaking of Louise Penny, when you posted that photo of yourself at the bookstore with the little button pin that said, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And you know, Emily Fine. Right. But Louise Penny fans know what fine stands for. What does it stand for? It stands for fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and I can't remember the E. <laughs> or Louise Penny fans don't know what it stands for. 
Oh, they do know what it stands I'm for. I'm teasing you because you don't. I'm just teasing. Oh, well, you know, it's probably like the seven deadly sins. The one you can't remember is the one you're most guilty of. Right. So I probably just like really outed myself a little bit too much. But yeah, that's a jo- ongoing joke in in Louise Penny's Three Pine series that when somebody says, I'm fine, I'm fine. It actually means you are so not fine. Oh, that's so great. I love it. And there's little naive me that had no idea. I just posted the pin because it was my last name. And also because I thought the irony of me standing there with an N95 holding the pin was kind of <laughs> telling for the year 2021. Yes, indeed. <laughs> fine. Did you get that a lot when you were a kid? Fine. If you ever said I'm fine. Yeah, you are. Oh, when I was a kid? <laughs> yeah. It's an endless, <laughs> endless. I mean, the post... The postal guy at the post office I go to, I check two P.O. boxes, so I'm there almost every day. They know me well. All of a sudden, on year five of my life in Guilford, decided to make a pun about my name the other day. And I was like, really? I mean, I'm surprised it took you five years. But the fact that he also was so proud of himself, I just thought was hilarious. But anyway, yes, Chris, I've been living with those jokes and puns and pointing out my name for many years now, yeah. over 50 as oh, a matter gosh. of fact. I can only imagine. <laughs> well, everybody, we hope that you are reading big books. Keep telling us about them. Yes, we wish you lots of happy, happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, come chat with us on social media. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, we would love to have you join our community. All of the books that we talked about in this episode are listed in the show notes, which you can find at bookcougars.com. Each book will link to our bookshop.org page where your purchase will help support not only the book cougars, but also independent bookstores everywhere. And if you're an audiobook listener, we do have a special offer from libro.fm. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, that's bookcougars.com. Thanks, everybody. This episode is edited by Pat Keogh Sound Design.